Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to CoastalOaksChurch.org. Now grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. That audit simply meant that I could attend class but not be held responsible for all the assigned reading or the work. That's my dream come true, I'm sorry. Like, I love learning, I love studying, I love reading, but if I didn't have to write the paper, yeah, that's a win for me. Now, in all honesty, the one time I did audit the course, I did the reading. Uh, I did not do the papers, because I didn't have to, and I'd already written my paper. It was signed, sealed, graduated, done, I'm not writing any more papers if I don't have to. But I find in that situation a correlation to what happens so often in the church. So many in the church today, we want the benefit of the course, we want salvation, but not necessarily have to put in the time to be a growing disciple of Jesus. In other words, so many in the church today want to audit Jesus, audit Christianity, Audit Jesus 101, Disciples Life 102, if you want to call it that. Get all the information, but not do any of the work. We want the data. We want the truth. We want to hear the truth. We want to be reinforced in what we, what we would hold to our sincerely held beliefs. But we don't want the responsibility of actually carrying it out. Sometimes I equate that to drinking Coke Zero. It's not Diet Coke. It tastes more like regular Coke, and to my taste buds anyway. But we want the Coke Zero, all the flavor but none of the calories of the real thing, all right? Yes? You ever wonder why they don't make a Diet Big Mac? (laughs) This is absolutely gross. It's disgusting. Don't go there. But when it comes to Jesus, that's what some of us are after. We want to audit. We want Christ zero. All of the taste but, and the flavor, but none of the calories. This week I began reading a book entitled A Cloud by Day, A Fire by Night. It's an edited uh, selection of A.W. Tozer sermons preached that are now put into book form. So he didn't write it, the book, but he spoke the words in his sermons. At one point, one of the things that have stood out to me about halfway through so far is that uh, he said this about following Christ and trusting in what God is doing in your life and how he wants to work in your life. But he simply said, if I'm not believing God, I'm not being led by God. Let me give you some of his thoughts on what that looks like, because some of us are in that place of hesitation. Uh, Some of us are in a place of debating the accuracy, the truth of God's word. Is it real for me? Some of us are just procrastinating what he has called us to do, which is to make disciples. Tozer goes on to say, he says, unbelief is like someone who says that is for someone else or it is for some other time. And that unbelief will deflect any kind of correction and say that that does not apply to me. 
Unbelief will say some other time, but not now. In other words, you agree it's God's word, it's true, but it's not for right now. It's not, the timing's not right. Unbelief says some other place, not here. In other words, you agree that it's God's word and it was good for Israel and, and, and the promised land, but we live in a different place. I mean, we live in Texas and it's good for Israel, but I'm not in Israel and I'm not in that time frame. Unbelief says it's for someone else, not me. I believe the promises, but they really are not for me. They don't apply to me, so I can get out of them. And that maybe relates more to anyone today than any of the others that he listed. So the real question as we come to our text in Matthew 28 and what we're looking at next year for Coastal Oaks Church and trying to build our discipleship program, build our discipleship ministry, build what we're supposed to be doing and making disciples I want to ask you this question, and you should ask yourself this question. Is Jesus calling me to audit Christianity, or is he calling me to look more like him? If you would stand with me as I read from Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 16. The 11 disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Jesus came near, and he said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we know that as we have trusted Jesus for salvation, that we are also called to look more like him, and that is the work that you are involved in in our life each and every day. And we can look back and say, thank you, Lord, for you are faithful. In every twist and turn that this last year has held and whatever 2022 holds for us, we trust you. We know that you are faithful. And Father, that as we submit ourselves to the lordship of your son, our King Jesus, that we are to look more like him. Father, that the treasure we have gained in following Jesus, it is now our responsibility to pass on to others. What we do not know, teach us. What we do not have, provide for us. And what we are not, make us. For your glory and our good. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So I believe with all my heart that this This is one of the most important texts for the church. And this can be so familiar to us that we might get to a place where we say, this isn't for me. He's not talking to me. And that would be the wrong mindset. The charge given to the 11 on this day is still relevant for us on this day, December 26, 2021. If you believe God... You'll be led by his spirit and by the word to hear this charge this morning and to take it to heart and to join in the discipleship process this next year. We look at the, at the text this morning, we see in verse 16 and 17 that they are gathering, worshiping, and doubting. It's interesting to me that as Matthew captures this for us, the 11 rather than the 12, because Judas is no longer around, but The 11 have gathered just like Jesus had commanded them to go to Galilee, that resurrection 
morning they were told to meet with him in Galilee, and so they're meeting with him just as he told them he would be there. And as they meet on the mountain, they see him and they worship him. And yet there's that little phrase at the end of verse 17, but some doubted. When we see that, I think first off, it's hard to meet the Lord Jesus and not respond in some kind of worship, especially for the 11. They had seen him on the cross. They knew that he had been buried. They'd seen him now post-resurrection multiple times. Something's different about this time, but this is one of those John 4 moments where Jesus had the conversation with the Samaritan woman and her concern was, where do we worship God? You Jews say it's in Jerusalem, we Samaritans say it's here in Samaria. Where, where is that happening? And, and Jesus says, look, a time is coming and location doesn't matter. Skin type, language, ethnic belonging, it, it doesn't matter because God is looking for people who will worship him in spirit and truth. He's seeking after true worshipers. And so the 11 are, are worshiping him, they're praising him as they should, but yet some doubt it. Is it Thomas? Well, Thomas kind of had already had his questions answered at this point, his doubts, but some doubted. Matthew doesn't give us who is doubting, so speculation doesn't really help us here, but that word doubt can help us understand where they are in this moment. It's not a, a, an unbelief necessarily, but rather a hesitation. They're hesitant in this moment. Something is causing them a, a, a sense uh, uh, to have some reservations. It's not that they're lacking faith or they're lacking trust, but rather they're, they're hesitant about giving everything in, to Jesus, yet even in this moment, though they have seen and been through so much with him. These guys are growing just as well as we are growing. They're growing in their trust. They're growing in their faith. They're growing in their understanding. They had not reached maturity yet in their faith, but they will. It's very similar to when Jesus is walking on the water and Peter looks out and he sees him and he calls out to Jesus. And so then Jesus calls him out of the boat. You know the story. Jesus, uh, Peter gets out of the boat. He starts to walk. But then something happened. He starts to sink. He took his eyes off of Jesus. He starts to sink. And you remember what Jesus asked him? Why did you doubt? It's the same word that Jesus used there that is used here by Matthew. Some doubted. Some hesitated. So we see in Peter that hesitation, that uncertainty leading to doubt. Tozer said again, if I'm not believing God, I'm not being led by God. Hesitation and doubt lead us to say, now isn't the right time. It's for someone else. Is it even for real for me? Does he really want me to look like him? And, and, and we start thinking of all the things that we might have to give up in order to look like Christ and follow him more closely. And that causes hesitation. That causes doubt. Is it really true? Is it really for us? And we gather for worship each week, we, we gather together, and yet some of you are in a place of hesitation and doubt. I'm going to admit that there's times where I'm hesitant, and I'm full of doubt when it comes to following Jesus. Does he really mean this for me today or not? But when we read this text and we're called to make disciples, we see that as we obey, we will honor the Lord. We will honor the Lord. So honoring the Lord isn't just about what we're singing. 
That certainly does praise him and honor him, but there's more to it than that, to honor the Lord. We honor him by obedience. And so we are called to make disciples. So what is it that helps us get past that doubt? What is it that helps us move past the hesitation? Well, for Peter, when he's sinking in the water, what did he do? He looked back to Jesus. Jesus lifted him up. That's where his help comes from. There's no difference for us. We look to Christ. We look to him. That is where our help comes from. In fact, you hear what Jesus says in verse 18. We hear that, we hear that but some doubted. And then in verse 18, Jesus came near and he says to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So let me share with you that Jesus's authority, his mission, and his presence make the difference for us. His authority, his mission, and his presence help move us past that hesitation. His authority, his, the mission, and the presence we find in 18, 19, and 20 all help us get past that hesitation and make the difference for us. Look again in verse 18. All authority has been given to me, Jesus said. Notice, if you will, that Jesus didn't start with the command. He didn't say, go make disciples, and oh, by the way, you better obey because all authority has been given to me. No, he starts with the claim of authority. Before I give you the command, here's the authority behind the command. I was thinking through this this morning, and I, and I had breakfast with, uh, with, with some men in the church, and what got me to thinking about this was that when, when you hear the knock on the door and you uh, have done something wrong and the police are looking for you, what do they do? They identify themselves. Every cop show you ever watch, what do they do? FBI or, or this is the police. Like the, the identification of authority always comes with the announcement, right, that someone is at your door. It's, in my mind, it was playing along like that. It, this is what Jesus is doing. This is the authority that I have to tell you what I'm about to tell you. All authority, Jesus said, has been given to me in heaven and on earth. I read another illustration this week by Tony Evans, and he was equating this authority of Jesus to the Queen of England. She's a prestigious figure. She looms larger than life. She has her own palace. She has the great, big, beautiful crown. But there's one problem she doesn't have any power. She's a figurehead mostly. She looks good. She looks like one of the most powerful women in the world, but she can't vote. What the parliament does and what the prime minister does really carries the weight in that nation. People pay homage to her. They'll, she's driving through, waving at her subjects. They'll wave and be excited to see the royal family and on and on, but her position is really one of courtesy and and just kind of that, it's position. And he said, what we do, what England does to the queen, we do to the King Jesus. We give him that verbal recognition. We encase him in beautiful palaces known as the church. And we, we get people to come pay a homage to him all the time. But when it comes to decision making and veto power and voting, we just kind of set him aside and do what we want to do. All the position but no power. And that's, that's the opposite of who Jesus is. All authority, Jesus said, has been given to him in heaven and on earth. There should be no doubt that in Jesus that he commands our destiny. I love that song, In Christ Alone. There is that, um, there is that uh, uh, verse in that uh, beautiful hymn. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. 
till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I stand. I love that phrase. Let me give you a couple of other places where we see his ruling authority, his power, and the right to issue this kind of command over the church and to these disciples and to us still today. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20 is a great place to start. There, Paul writes to the church, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. We need to understand that when Paul wrote letters to the churches, most of the time he was writing to correct a problem. There's an issue. So in the church, even in Paul's day, there's an issue with who Jesus is and the authority that he has. He is the, in, the, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and by him all things are held together. Listen to all of these things that Paul writes. He's the image of the invisible God. Everything was created through him and for him. He holds all things together. He's the head of the church, Paul would go on to say, a.k.a. he's the boss. He is first. And then he goes on to say that all of God's fullness was in him and is still in him. And that as we've learned through the Advent season, that Christ made peace through his blood. Friend, he has the authority over our life as his disciples and the church. Jesus commands our destiny, church. This is the authority of Jesus stressed in other places. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 27, Jesus said, all things have been given to me by my Father. And he goes on to say in that very passage that it is he who will give rest to the weary and the burdened. It is Jesus who will give your weary soul the rest you long for. In 1 Corinthians 4.20, Paul wrote to the church, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Daniel 7.14, he was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. Friend, that is a prophecy of who Jesus would be and is still today. He has dominion, he has glory, he has a kingdom, and the church is a part of that. We give him homage, and we give him honor, and we obey his commands. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, that's a familiar one, that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is what? He is Lord. Jesus is Lord. He's been given the authority to heal. The authority is behind his teaching. He has the authority to command the church. He has authority over the demons. He had authority to forgive sins. He has the authority to judge and passing this on to his disciples in this moment that he is Lord. This is his position. He is Lord. So I want to encourage you, say this with me this morning, if you believe it, that I believe in the authority of Jesus Christ. Would you say that? Say it with me. I believe in the authority of Jesus Christ. Good, then you agree with what he's saying here. And you're submitting to what he's saying here. His mission will succeed because his power and authority will guarantee that mission. What is that mission? He says in verse 19, go therefore, or as you go, the verb now is make disciples. It's not going, that's part of it. But as you go, make disciples 
of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, which we get to see this morning, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you, which is what we're doing again this morning. Friends, look at that again. We are called to make disciples. The disciples in Jerusalem are no longer going to be a show and tell. Israel was kind of a show and tell. Look at Israel's God. Look how many times her her adversaries from the outside were afraid when they knew that Israel was following God, nothing could stop them. They feared the God of Israel because of what he did. News of what happened at Jericho spread. News of what happened at the Red Sea spread. They knew that the God of Israel was the almighty God, that he was something different than what they had as, a, as their foreign gods or false gods. They knew there was something different. When those prophets of Baal danced and hooped and hollered for hours upon hours and nothing happened to their, their sacrifice on their altar, and then here is Elijah and he just stands and prays and gives glory to God and God lights it up in a heartbeat. There's something different about the God of Israel. Now, the church is going to go out and take that God, take his name, take his message of grace and mercy, take the name of Jesus, and they are going to pass on the treasure that they have received in knowing and following Jesus, that they're going to go and make disciples. I like what David Platt said about our tendency here when it comes to this making disciples. He says, this is not a comfortable call inviting Most Christians to come, be baptized, and to sit in one location. Yet that is exactly what we are tempted to do. To turn our mission into, if we're not careful, this is what our Christianity will consist of. Which leads me to think we're just auditing Jesus. But here the disciples are supposed to go about life making disciples. They're going to be very intentional about making disciples as we see in the rest of the New Testament. Through, the, through their ministry, not just of the Jews, but of all people, all of the ethnic groups. The gospel is for all, every tribe, every nation, every language, just like in Acts chapter two at Pentecost. They heard them speaking in their own languages. Not only are we called to make disciples, we're also called to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is an outward expression an outworking of obedience for the new believer of what is happening already on the inside, the transition and the transformation that's happening in our heart. It really is the first step of discipleship and to identify with other believers who have gone through the same waters of baptism and the same identification process. To say that I am dying to myself and that as I am brought back up, I am raised to new life in Christ. It's a declaration to the world that I belong to Jesus, I trust Jesus, and I follow Jesus. You know, I always understood that, but growing up in the Bible Belt, it tends to lose its importance at times. And I learned the importance of what baptism was in 2007 when I met a man who had been a principal in an elementary school in his village in a nation that is not our own. Through the mission work of a local pastor that I had been friends with for a couple of years who took me on this trip, I learned then the importance of baptism, what it meant in a nation that did not tolerate Christianity the way our nation does. That man lost his government job, lost everything, 
and yet he was willing to go into the local river and give and show that he was willing to follow Jesus and that he was following Jesus. And when he did that, he lost his job. But you know, God opened another door for him. and He became a translator for mission groups who were coming over to his country to do work. It's amazing how God works things out. We're called to baptize them. Baptism isn't something simple. It really carries a profound, it is a profound act for a new believer. We need to remember that and that we are called not only to disciple, but we are also called to baptize. We are also called to teach them the truth, teach them everything, teach them to observe everything I have commanded you. That's really, to me, the heart of discipleship. Discipleship is it, caught, not necessarily taught. Kind of like evangelism, it's caught, not always just taught. We can teach all we want to, but we also have to live it out in front of each other. So teach them to observe everything I have commanded. So we teach what Jesus taught his disciples. Those are captured in the four gospels, but there's so much more than just the four gospels. We remember that Jesus used the Old Testament, as did most, if not all, well, all of the New Testament writers used the Old Testament in their referencing. That's what they were going back to. That's what they had as the New Testament was being penned. They didn't have the four gospels yet. Old and new are both extremely important to your walk with Jesus in the process of discipleship. So let me tell you what's gonna start next week in the next week or two here at Coastal Oaks. Back earlier this fall, we started a training process uh, for a, a ministry known as Replicate. And it's a very small group discipleship process. We are gonna call them D groups. D stands for discipleship. Uh, group stands for group, okay? I, I, can't, I can't make that any easier. D group. Now, this is different than grow groups. This is smaller, three to five, no more than five. Uh, it's not co-ed. You're with men or you're with women led by someone who has been through our training process already, and for the next year, you're going to be reading in that small group through the Old Testament together. Not 365 days, but 260. That means it's five days a week. You're going to be reading scripture out of the Old Testament inside your D group. Now, there's a whole nother process that I won't get into as to what it, that looks like on the inside of a D group, okay? But if you get invited to one, you need to seriously pray about being a part of that and what God wants to do in your life and how he's going to shape you to look more like Jesus. The next level is called life group. Now we're changing grow groups to life groups. I'm sorry if you don't like that, but keep giving your offering. We'll love you anyway. <laughs> when we have space, I am committed to getting some life groups back on Sunday morning so that we're providing discipleship on Sunday morning. But we're not stopping we're not stopping our midweek grow groups, okay? We're not stopping what's in place now. You need to hear me say that. So getting into a life group, here's what that's going to look like. If your life group leader so chooses, and I hope you will, I have prepared 52 weeks of lessons that will walk alongside the D groups and what they're reading. So I am committed to the next year preaching through the Old Testament for 52 weeks, or hopefully I don't get sick, or maybe a vacation in there, but we're going to be hitting on those, those topics that the D groups are working through. I'm going to be preaching through one of those five chapters that have been read that week out of the Old Testament. That life group lesson is going to focus on that sermon, 
okay? So you're gonna have a sermon-based lesson, discussion, question, and you should be reading your Bible anyway, so hopefully you'll have been prepared for that time so that we are all walking together on the same path next year, all right? It's really a foundational year for this process for us. It's gonna have some kinks it's going to have some creaks and crones, and we'll just ask the Holy Spirit to uh, put some, some old WD-40 on us, some heavenly anointed WD-40 to help us work out all the kinks in the, in the armor, okay? It's not going to be perfect, but it's a process that we need to have in place, and I hope that you will start praying now for that process. Now, if you're really interested in being in a D group, if you would let me or Verna know so that we can try to get your name to a D group leader. The D group leaders are praying about who they would be asking for a D group is not for everybody, okay? That's a pretty serious commitment. So it's not for everybody. The life groups are not quite as serious, but we still want you to be in that discipleship process. And hopefully after a year or two in a life group, you're ready to take a step into a D group that's a little more intentional. Now, if you're in a D group, can I be in a life group? Absolutely. We want you to be both involved in both, okay? Absolutely. That's what we're looking at starting in this next year. As soon as we have the space ready to go, we're launching. If you already have a small group that's meeting during the week and you wanna get on board with the sermon-based content, it's just about ready to go and we will have it ready soon, okay? The first sermon out of that Old Testament will be the second Sunday of January. I have another sermon ready for next week. So the second Sunday of January, that's when we're starting that process, okay? I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited about it. I'm still praying about uh, my group and, and whom I can find uh, to <laughs> would care to be a part of my group. Uh, after today, you may not wanna be a part of my group. Uh, but I can't promise we'll have blizzards every week, but maybe once, uh, once a month or so. Okay, anyway. We're called to teach the truth, friends. We're called to disciple, and that's, that's the heart of the message this morning. And so I wanna commit for this next year just verbally to say that we will obey the command of Christ. Would you say that with me? Say it with me. We will obey the command of Christ. And here's how we know it's going to work, because his presence confirms. His presence confirms his authority, his commands, and his love for the church. He says in verse 20, I am with you always to the end of the age. We've learned that through Advent. We've been reminded, Emmanuel, God with us. And when he ascended back into heaven after giving the commission and in, in Acts chapter one, he didn't, yes, his physical presence left, but yes, he is still with us. His authority is still real. His presence is still real with us today because he promised he would be. And our God is faithful. His presence is always with us, even to the end of the age. I find encouragement in that. I find encouragement in truth that the mission is not based on who we are and how much money we have or how good looking we are or how good looking we aren't. What we can do in our own power, what we can do in our own strength and our own planning Christ's presence in us through his spirit is the promise here. His presence in us is what makes this go. His presence in us is what makes disciples. It's not a technique that I've learned to, to twist your arm to get you to do what I want you to do. It's his presence in us that causes that discipleship to happen, that causes the tweaking, the transformation, the chiseling off that old heart of stone that we carry around with us to, to make it look more like him. 
That mission is based and sustained on his presence. What a beautiful promise that is. And I am with you always, even to the end of the age. No matter what you're going to walk through, no matter what 2022 holds for you, no matter what 2021 did to you, no matter what's happening, we will depend on the presence of Christ. There's another great illustration I read, and I'll just close with this, you know, that if you go to a doctor, he diagnoses, hopefully, your ailment, and he prescribes a treatment. He gives you that medication. You go down to the pharmacy. You fill that, that uh, medication, that prescription that the doctor gave, you, gave to you, and now you go home. Now it's up to you. Will you take the medicine that was supposed to help you, or will you not? Isn't that interesting? God knows how to measure whether or not we value his salvation, whether or not we value Jesus Christ, whether or not we take him at his word and believe it, take it to heart and obey. He knows so that if we go and work it out, work out your salvation. If you value it, you go work out. If you don't value it, then you don't work out. You ignore it. You bypass it. You marginalize it. But what you don't do is that you don't work it out. We are called to work it out. We are called to, as we go, make disciples. I pray that you will join me on that mission.